0: You're listening to Giraffe Kings Network.
1: Folks, Mother's Day is around the corner, and let me talk to you about 1-800-Flowers. I can't wait. Every year to tradition, I send stuff to my mother, my mother-in-law, and my wife because they are three amazing moms. They're better than all your moms out there. You think you have good moms? No, I have good moms in my life. I'm just kidding. This was a little harsh. I'm sure you guys all have good moms too. From your mom to the mother of your children and all the moms in between, this Mother's Day, give back to the ones that have given you everything. 1-800-Flowers helps you celebrate all amazing moms from homemade bouquets, sweet treats, gourmet food, and one-of-a-kind gifts, ordered easily and delivered fresh. For a limited time, you can save up to 40% off Mother's Day bestsellers at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Dan. Don't wait. Order today and save up to 40% at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Dan.
2: Welcome to another South Beach session. I am so happy to be joined by a legendary friend. He will poo-poo the idea of legend. He will poo-poo with with great humility the job that he does on uh, the longest-running funny show just in sports, but for all of television. One could make an argument that you have the space. Poo-poo. Now, I'm going to do this introduction correctly because I want people to understand All those guys say you're the most important piece and you say that's ridiculous obviously that's asinine they're the stars you're just there to serve them but You know how to be a host and being a host requires a decency a kindness and an ego That you don't generally find in the television business uh, Because you have to be someone who brings the ball up and just passes again and again and again does it quietly and you built a monster, a monster. I don't know if it's by accident. I don't know how much inventory. you're very. I imagine you're very meticulous. There's just simply no way you can do the job as well as you do without caring deeply about the craft of broadcasting. But I don't think people understand how hard it is to be you, and I need you to explain it to them without being humble, because it's not as easy as you make it look to do 30 years <laughs> of the greatest... Sports television show that there has ever been What welcome by the way <laughs> Thank I you Just don't want hey. you to be humble guy no. here like what you do is hard and you can you can talk about it gratefully yeah before God without Poo-pooing how hard it is to do what you do because
3: I know they make it look easy It is not as easy as you make it look There's a lot of work and I love the work and I love the prep. And um, look, this I, I appreciate everything you said about the show and about my role. And there's not a day that goes by that I am not as thankful as I could possibly be about sitting in that chair for that long. Since I was hired in 1989 um, by Turner Broadcasting and had to sit out a six-month no-compete clause because I had been working in local TV in Atlanta. So I just spun my wheels for six months, did a few stories, and then it was uh, the next season, 90-91 season, they said, hey, Craig Sager is going to go on the road. He's going to be a sideline reporter because Craig was in the chair. And so you're our NBA guy. And it was... (laughs) I had no idea that I'd be sitting here in 2023 talking about this run in that role that was never in the cards. And uh, what's kept me there is is being prepared. And that's the whole key to, to the longevity. Often without needing your colleagues to be as prepared,
2: because they're there for expertise. And I know how much Charles hates those March Madness weekends where they make him <laughs> memorize all the names, because tra- you're doing the preparation in a lot of ways, as is the an unbelievable production team, so that Kenny and Charles and Shaq can be maximum themselves. It, The reason that I admire it, one of the many reasons I admire it so much, is because of how rare it is to be able to keep those spinning plates Together and working together sure. when this is the vanity business, Ernie. Like, Shaq's used to being a star. Charles is used to being the star of that show. Kenny is used to being a facilitator who understands your role better than
3: most. Mm-hmm. But they're... And the thing, you know why it's work? Because nobody tries to make themselves the show. Because they've never tried to make the show about themselves. And I'm in the fortunate position of getting us from point A to point B to point C with three guys who have been in every conceivable situation in a basketball game. And so nobody at home cares if what I think about what might be being said in a huddle with 1.7 seconds to go, they want to hear from the guys who have been there. And so it's up to me to try to bring out the best in, in these three guys. Um, and, and knowing your role is vital. You know if if you try to stay stray outside your lane and be something you aren't then it doesn't work and the fact that we don't rehearse and the fact that we just let her rip there you go they have such reverence for
2: your decency though those uh, I mean I've heard Charles speak about you he doesn't speak about many the way that he speaks about you those guys would do almost anything for you and, and have I,
3: and I would do the same for them we all would. Well, that's,
2: that's pretty unusual in television, isn't it? Yeah.
3: <laughs> you know TV. <laughs> yes. And But that's I think that's what uh, what comes with years of being together. And when you think about, Kenny and I have been together the longest, because I used to do the show by myself, and then for a while, just here's Cheryl Miller for a while, here's Reggie Theus for a while, here's Dick Versace for a while, um, and then Kenny comes along and and we have a pretty good thing going. And then Chuck. But we're the three of us, for more than 20 years, have been doing this together, which is unheard of in TV, where the next TV executive always has a better idea. Oh, no, the these three guys will work. No, this too, and to take him out and add him. And then Shaq for the last dozen years. So when you have that kind of time together and you have that kind of a bond, then you just... I'm not sounding that zappy here. We love each other. We really, uh, truly. And, you know, I grew up with two older sisters, and this is as close as I'll ever come to having brothers. And and that's what they are to me. Do you tell them? Oh, all the time. Do they tell you? Yeah. Yeah. And it- and you know what? There was a moment, too, when, when Kobe passed. You know, we did a show out in L.A. Uh, right there in the middle of the of the floor the uh, you know the game had been had been canceled but we were just going to spend that time talking about Kobe and i remember Shaq on that night saying on the air that i don't say this enough to you guys that but i love you and we and we do and i think one thing that that, that whole moment in time taught all of us was that you don't know Um, You don't know how long you have and it behooves us to make sure that everything's cool between us everything's cool not just between the, the four of us on the show but between everybody in your life that if the unthinkable happens do you want to leave that with man I wish I had said this man I wish I had I wish that silly feud I could have stepped up and defused it. I wish I would have said this. And I think that was a it was a pretty brutal reminder of that. How important is love
2: to any sensitive thing that happens because people are talking for 6 hours on television a night and sparks are going to be caused and disagreements happen between Siblings, friends, and loved ones. Uh, there's not a bigger ingredient to why it is that it's successful than that, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Without question, yeah. And and um, that I mean, and that cuts right through the essence of, of what we do. And I mean, uh, let's not get carried away with points in the paint and second chance points and fast break points and and uh, who's making this decision and why is this important. Keep it where it is sports is a great Distraction from the real stuff um, Because there's enough real stuff going on that uh, that'll drive you crazy And so I think it's really important that while this is my job um, And being in that chair has been at the center of my professional life um, Let's not forget what really matters and and because we're so familiar with it, with each other, and because there are times where tempers, I wouldn't even call it tempers, it's just where opinions differ and defenses are raised, um, we're talking sports, you know.
2: Oh, so. but i found Shaq unusually sensitive. Not Charles. He is. Uh, but i found Shaq to be... Uh, I don't know Kenny this way, but I feel like Charles isn't terribly sensitive. Almost anything rolls off of Charles.
3: You'd be surprised. How so? Because I think there are things that strike him, that strike a chord with him um, that he feels very strongly about. Um, you know, you don't hear much about it, but I mean he's, he has causes like, like HBCUs are really important to him, the donations he makes there. Uh, how the average person in the world is getting by matters to him, and matters deeply to him. And he is hurt when he sees things happen. So yeah, there's a sensitive side to Chuck. There's a very sensitive side to to Shaq. Um, I mean, <laughs> there have been times where uh, we have felt that with him, um, and the viewer too. Yeah, and he'll and we may laugh on the air about it, but he but he may take it home with him. That, that's what I say when I, Charles, uh,
2: when I, I say he is insensitive, I meant sort of to criticism. I've mm-hmm. seen Charles with whatever would be described as the little people. Charles is extraordinary about giving of himself, unlike anyone well, I've ever seen in fame, making... Every person who comes into contact with him makes sure that they walk away from. Okay, that was as long as I don't disrespect him, he won't throw me through a plate glass window. But <laughs> if 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 I'm just human with him, he will be just as human back to me in a way that's
3: moving to me every time I see it. Yeah, um, this is true, and and with and with Shaquille. Uh, look, we had a huge laugh one, and people have seen the clip. The hey, it's supposed to go. One to two to three, not one to two and back to one, you know, and and because Charles had taken up all this airtime on a sponsored element that we're weighing in on. And we all laughed and we kept laughing with Shaq because because it just sounded so funny. But he was he was bothered by it and came in the next day and it and carried carried it with him. It was like it hadn't been forgotten. It was like in the middle of these playoff runs where it's not like that happened on a Thursday, now we'll work again next Thursday, it was the next night. And and he was still kind of in a shell. Um, and so we realized, you know, that, yeah, he is he is sensitive to to this. And I'll, and I'll be honest, I, I had an episode with him last year um, when he was late for a show. And there had been traffic, you know, and we're living in Atlanta and there's always a lot of traffic, but he showed up late for the show. And uh, he came up with an excuse on the air about it was this or this. And, and uh, we went to commercial break. And he said, how'd you like that excuse? And it, w- it had been kind of one of those days for me, too. You know, I said, I didn't like it. What are you talking about? I said, I didn't like it. I said, you need to be here. He said, what am I supposed to do about 18-wheeler turning over and blah, blah, blah. I said, you need to be here. I said, you're vital to this show. All right. Next day, dead silence. And, and really the rest of that night, that's where it happened. The rest of those shows that night, he was kind of just sitting in the chair, not volunteering much, waiting to be called on, which is not the way our show works. So I knew. This was me. You know, I had, I had kind of crossed that line with him. And he, look, he respects me, and, and, and I respect him. I mean, I did a story with him back at his house in San Antonio before he was in the NBA. And, um, and he always brings that up. Man, you came to my house. And he always says it's 1989, but it was like 91. Okay, so, um, so I knew that, that it, he, it bothered him, that I had gotten on him.
2: But oh, but, a, but he but, a, but he but he is not to and this is not to mother bleep shack but he is not to disrespect this thing that you care about that you guys have worked hard to build and again I, people don't have any earthly idea
3: how much work you do like you you're not showing up late and and look and it may have been very well a legitimate hey I left and he told me I left two and a half hours before and I said fine I said got to be here so. The next day, I'm sitting on the set, it's like 15 minutes before we go on the air, normally these guys come in and sit down at three minutes of, and the the show open, rolls, and bang, here we do the show. And he came out about 10 minutes early, and came in very quietly, and I, here's the deal, the whole crew knew there was some tension Because they had heard me say that in the commercial break. So he walks in 10 minutes early the next night. And he's quiet. And he's about 10 steps away from the set. And I got up. And I went over to him. And wrapped my arms around him. And jumped up and down with him like, hey, Shaq, hey. And he's, and finally he laughed. And then the rest of the crew was like, yeah. Like, we're back. Everything's, everything's good. And I explained to him again then. I said, Hey, that was that's out of love, man. And that's out of our need to always be there. And it's just one of those things you learn about somebody after hanging out with them that long.
1: Folks, Mother's Day is around the corner, and let me talk to you about 1-800-Flowers. I can't wait. Every year to tradition, I send stuff to my mother, my mother-in-law, and my wife because they are three amazing moms. They're better than all your moms out there. You think you have good moms? No, I have good moms in my life. I'm just kidding. This was a little harsh. I'm sure you guys all have good moms too. From your mom to the mother of your children and all the moms in between, this Mother's Day, give back to the ones that have given you everything. 1-800-Flowers helps you celebrate all amazing moms from homemade bouquets, sweet treats, gourmet food, and one-of-a-kind gifts, ordered easily and delivered fresh. For a limited time, you can save up to 40% off Mother's Day bestsellers at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Dan. Don't wait. Order today and save up to 40% at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Dan.
2: You might not know this, okay, but your father is basically the person or one of the people who helped introduce me to sports, his voice, because... I'm in South Florida. We don't have any sports, and cable television is a phenomenon, and Amer- a crappy America's team. I don't, like, just <laughs> the Atlanta Braves, they were all terrible. They were All of those teams were terrible. I know, I know. But, but, but I loved, as a kid, like, look at Gary Matthews. He goes after a fly ball, and his hat flies off because he's got a giant afro. Yeah. And, and I'm, like, learning about terrible Braves baseball because it's the only thing on television, and I'm learning about broadcasting – or the, the the person who's teaching me like who's got personality and flair, that's the house that you grew up in. Did you even have a choice on what it is that you were going to do? Oh, once? Sure. No, no, I don't mean I mean I don't mean a choice like did you have the freedom? I mean once you see what your dad got to do for a living,
3: you are like, I'm going I'm gonna be something like that. No? Mm, it wasn't uppermost on my mind. Um now Looking at his career, his playing career, that was the goal. You know, growing up with a dad who played Major League Baseball, that was the goal. All I thought about was baseball, all growing up. And so, when I get to the University of Georgia, that's my goal. I want to play baseball. And I walk on. And somehow, I make the baseball team as a walk-on freshman. And that was one glorious season, Dan, of being a backup first baseman for the Georgia Bulldogs. Didn't get to play much. Went two for 18 at the plate with one career RBI, which came at Knoxville against the University of Tennessee.
2: You remember all the details. In Game don't you?
3: Two of a doubleheader, <laughs> if we if we sweep the doubleheader, we win the division. Okay, if we sweep the doubleheader, we win the division. Jim Watley, the coach, in his last year there, he, he coached at Georgia for about 600 years. This was his swan song. And so I'm, he puts me in in game two. And here goes the guy who's one for 17, who lines a single to left center field with a runner at second and knocks in the go-ahead run. And I am standing on first base, picturing my name in the red and black student newspaper the next day, you know, I say Johnson delivers game-winning hit. Johnson delivers division title until uh, until somebody on Tennessee hit a grand slam in the bottom <laughs> half <in> the next <laughs> inning and we lost. But we we eventually would go on to to win the division. But that was uh, so. That was the goal. That was the dream: was to play baseball. So I walk on as a freshman and was told to walk off as a sophomore. My second year, I didn't make it out of fall practice. A new coach took over. Bang, I was gone. Uh, so and the dream dies right there, or the major league baseball dream dies. yeah, I mean, and and you know what, in all honesty, I mean, I knew what my talents were. i you know, I kind of think, and I probably don't have what's you know what a big leaguer is made of because any any pitch over eighty three miles an hour had me bamboozled, and if you if you threw a wrinkle in it, hello. I don't know what mistake that kid from Tennessee made to lay one over the pipe, right down the pipe that I that I hit into left center field. I was late on it, um, but.
2: I had a similar experience. And uh, like, mine was eighth grade, though. It wasn't his college. It was just a a kid who would go on to become a University of Miami pitcher. I'm looking, I'm sitting 02. I'm like, he's going to throw a breaking ball in the dirt or something. And he's like, no, I'm going to throw a fastball right over the plate because you're clueless. You don't know anything. And I'm like, oh, I was trying to think, you. Okay, never mind. I need to put my bat down and not play this anymore. I need to write about it. I need to do something else. Yeah.
3: So, So there I am at Georgia and I get cut. My dad took it harder than I did. You know, he was really, he was hurt for me because he knew how much it meant to me. But I was more realistic than he was. And I was like, Dad, don't worry about it. And, you know, it's 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 okay. I don't think, I was never going to be at that level. And so then it was, okay, what do you do? And I, and I told myself, because I was an English major at the time, I said, I'm going to be an English teacher and a high school baseball coach. That's what I want to do. Uh, because I had my baseball coach in high school, Jerry Queen, was a teacher and a who got to go to the baseball field every day, and I said that would be a blast. So that's that's what I'm going to do. And it was actually Skip Carey, was was the guy you know working with my dad who was like, because my dad never was like, okay now do this now sit here and, and... my dad wanted me to do whatever was going to make my heart pump a little more and get my you know get me going. Skip had just kind of said, you know, you got a pretty good voice. You, you know, you might enjoy this, you know, you might think about it. And so I did, I, I thought about, I wonder what this campus radio station at Georgia is all about W U O G. And I, I went in there and they can't really turn you down. You know, I was like, sure. Okay. You're in sports and, uh, do this and no experience whatsoever. And I'm, they they give me this assignment to do what's called hockey corner, at uh, because the Atlanta Flames were you know on the ice in Atlanta and people were learning the game, and it Dan it was probably the probably the worst thing that's ever been broadcast on any kind of radio station, no anywhere. And I still have a cassette recording of it. Do you really? Yeah.
2: But you're saying it's the it's the worst it's the and worst. least interesting <clears throat> broadcast in oh, the history oh. of recorded sound, voice, and video.
3: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It, 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 without question,
2: you were an incompetent, a, oh, a fool. Like it, you, you, you have it now. You don't listen to it. Why do you still have this? The game
3: is played on a rink. Ninety-seven. Uh, the, the puck is a rubberized disc. The, oh, it was horrible, and that was what it was. And there were like three three parts of it, and and the third oh, part the was worse part, than the three first part. Documentary on yeah, yes. what is hockey? <laughs> what is hockey? Yes. <laughs> w U O G hockey corner. And and why did I still have it? Because I I have a hard time throwing things away from the past because I never know where it's going to you know come up. And I'm glad I held on to it because when they did the doc about uh, inside the NBA, you know, 30 years of inside the NBA, I was able to give that to the producers and say, here's do with this what you want. <laughs> look at you know,
2: look at what got fertilized here. You had yeah. nothing to work with. And yeah. this, uh, this grew into... Now, you won't say this, right? You won't say that this is the best thing that's ever existed in
3: studio sports television? I mean, the awards say it. Uh, it's been pretty good. Yeah. And I... I no, I won't I won't put it over anything. I'm just I appreciate what we've been able to do. And and the real, you know, I leave that up to the folks who are watching and it's gratifying to have people say that and to to describe it that way. As, hey, this is the best sports studio sports show of all time or whatever. That's great to hear. Um, but now are you is the next show going to be just that good? Is somebody who's if somebody reads that and says well, this inside the NBA, I've never seen it, but they say here it's the greatest sports show of all time. I'm going to tune in tonight. It better be good. And it better not be a, what, oh man, we just, yeah. You know, well, we phoned this one in today, or this wasn't good, or I, I asked stupid questions. That's, it, it has to, you, you got to get better.
2: Caring like that, though, I do believe is unusual. Adults get formed, they get on with the balance in their life, and they don't necessarily hold themselves to that kind of hungry standard. Once they've already arrived at the mountaintop of where success resides,
3: there are too many good shows out there. I mean, there are there are some there are good shows, and there are, don't stop me before I say this. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna want to jump in and say, you know, you're a lot of guys could do what I do, and they, and they do on a nightly basis. There are a bunch of guys out there who are great. Studio hosts.
2: Oh wait, and this is where I disagree with you, though, and and I'm going to stop you. It's not even the mechanics of studio preparation. I you were
3: going to cut me off.
2: Well, because it's because you're a fundamentally decent person, and it's really important in that role. You don't understand. Shaq could have screwed that all up with his sensitivities coming in. Anybody being too sensitive there, who's not feeling cared about can disrupt the chemistry of that if they're not feeling loved if they're not being taught how to be maximum prepared no man you're an unusual cat in this business like that's what you're saying is not true the mechanics of television maybe 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 because that's harder than you think yeah bob costas might be able to do the mechanics of television but to make your teammates feel loved nah, not everyone can just loving them back but not everyone can create that environment. That's just simply untrue. Mm-hmm. You're 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 underestimating what your what your gift is, what your R is earning. It's super unusual in this business to have your likability factor 30 years on television? What Nah, like maybe Pat Sajak or like game show host. <laughs> no, honestly, but no, there has to be a fundamental, and this, this part I know is important to you, there has to be almost fundamental spiritual decency and depth residing deep in you that has lived some things and has learned the perspective of what's important and sure. what is
3: what is not. Sure. It's, uh, the job is what I do. It's not who I am. And, it's been, and the job has been very good to me and my family and, and has paid the bills for a long, long time, um, much more than I deserve. And, uh, but it is, it's, it's my job. And at, there was a time in my life where the job was right here. And now it's, it's moved into its proper place. Because I think sometimes we can we get so driven, um, and get so ambitious that it overtakes everything. And so I, you know, it took me a while to learn that, and and to realize that um, you can be good at your job without being consumed by it. Do you remember when and where and how you learned it? I remember a specific incident that uh, kind of told me what do you. What are you doing? I was. This is back in local TV, uh, WSB uh, in Atlanta, and I'm the weekend sports anchor, and they give me about six and a half minutes. Okay, out of that half hour, and and on a weekend you got a lot of stuff going on. You got Georgia football, Georgia Tech football. You got I. You know, there's more than enough to fill up six and a half minutes. And I sat down to do my to do my uh, segment, and the producer. Uh, Notified me that she had mistimed the show So you got three instead of six and a half I said Okay, so I didn't really go off at that point but I kind of crammed this stuff in and got off the air and And in front of the production crew, as she is apologizing to me, I was I just I got in her face. She's against the wall of the control room, and I am just letting her have it. And it was it was absolutely... it was it was off the charts vile and I walked away proud of it and it bugged me for years and it bugged me because i had never apologized for it and several years later lo and behold that producer had moved on from WSB was now at CNN and I reached out to her with an email first and then later face to face. And I said, I don't know if you remember me. And she said, yo, I remember you. And I said, look, I'm, this is years late, but I'm sorry. And, and I'm, I said, you don't know how, how sorry I am. I can't, be, can't even express it. Um, and I'm just asking you to forgive me. And she said, I forgave you the minute you did it because that's what my faith tells me to do. And I was like rocked. And it was really, that was kind of the, the defining moment that said, get over yourself, get over your job, get over your ego. And And realize where this fits into the big picture. And it's not at the mountaintop. There's a place for it, but that's not where it is. What
2: happened between the obvious shame, uh, what, you were proud of it, and then you came to be ashamed of it and regret it. How much space is in there? Because you're, I imagine, a preparationaholic. Someone tells you that you've gone from, you've prepared for six and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. You're given three minutes. Someone has made
3: you look bad has interfered with your preparation. That's exactly what I was thinking Yeah, but how how dare you do that to me?
2: But that's where you could have become (laughs) infected by television's
3: vanities with a lack of self-awareness
2: That's where it could have happened
3: But I see I was already infected with it because that was my reaction I was already infected in it because that was you saw my reaction to her like how dare you? and that's just so In part of the reason it hurts so bad Because it was everything my dad wasn't. Because I learned everything from him. Everything about how to be a professional, how to prepare, all the preparation. That's that's from watching my dad. That's from going to the ballpark and watching him six hours before first pitch, doing his interviews, sitting down with the scorebook, doing his notes. I learned all that there. And so when I considered what I had done to this producer, I was like, my dad never would have done that. And I, you know thankfully was able to rectify that and Seek her forgiveness, and how did I know she had forgiven me that moment had happened? Why does it hurt you still the way that it does? Because Because that's not me maybe you know It's it, it it hurts to I Think maybe because people think oh Ernie's never said a bad thing to anybody in his life. Yeah, I have and I've been a total prick sometimes and and it takes a lot of it takes being intentional about doing the right thing and and being um, yeah, doing the right thing being the right person and and so and not getting carried away with adulation because once you start getting on that train where every good thing said about you, you're kind of like, oh, here I'm coming. To, I, I'm getting that puffed up chest again. Uh, oh, Don't mess with my show because I might go off again. No, I I can't do that. That's why you just have to take all of that with, hey, it's very nice. I appreciate the fact that you like the show. I appreciate the fact you like me. And I'm not going to get carried away with that. And I'm not going to get carried away with the folks who say, man, you're an idiot. I hate you on baseball. You're this, you know. And so I've, I think I've had to learn over the years just to, Take all of that in and, uh, and not put too much emphasis on it.
4: Hey, listeners, it's Mike Ryan, and I've changed a lot over the course of 20 years that you've known me. I've gone from unlikable to, well, my hair has changed. But my point is, while a lot's changed over our relationship, there's one thing that hasn't changed one bit. And that's a great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite has sparked this debate way back in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. They keep it simple. It's got undebatable quality, great taste, 96 calories, you know all those things. It's a beer that strips everything away that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. But with Miller Lite, you don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. It's both those things. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com Dan or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.
2: Roughly what age were you when you arrived at the combination of things that would resemble both gratitude and balance so that... You could take your job, not t- you know, treat it professionally and seriously, but not yeah. have it be a competitive thing where you had to be better than person X or had to get some better job. When I'm, I'm guessing you you feel like you have the best job in show business. Sure. The way
3: that you carry yourself with gratitude. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, you you got into the, you mentioned the spiritual part of this equation, and that was huge for me. Um, because, you know, I'm not going to turn this into sunrise sermonette, but I was, you know, I'm, I'm a good Catholic boy growing up, you know, you're going to Mother Good Counsel School, you know, you're going to St. Jude's in Atlanta, you're, you know, you're an altar boy and all this. And, and then when I went to Georgia, it was like, um, you know, Sunday mornings for sleeping off Saturday night. And so I, I didn't pay God an ounce of attention for a long period of time there and it was really you know in the course of how your life turns out you you know you get married you have kids and you adopt and you then you feel like there's uh... there's something there that you haven't really been recognizing that you know what there's there's something spiritual about this there is you know that i just I, that was kind of an awakening for me in like 1997 you know it was just went back to church for the first time in ages, you know met a pastor who was kind of like me, had kids, had a wife about my wife's age and and had and just seemed to have a peace about him. What was the impetus for going back to church? It was to give the kids a little uh, grounding you know it was like Eric and Maggie. Who our two oldest, you know, would come back from playing with their friends and were like, how come we don't go to church on Sunday? And it was like, Cheryl and I said, you know, we need to we need to give them some foundation here. So we found this non-denominational church. Oh, so it wasn't even about actually being religious. It was just sort of, let's get some structure and how to raise a family. Yeah let's, yeah, let's give them some, you know, some, so that they're not confused when one of the kids brings up uh, Moses or Noah or somebody. Who are you talking about? So let's give him a little foundation. And within two Sundays of going there, I was being pierced as I sat and listened to this, this pastor, Kevin Myers. And he's talking about who's, you know, what's more important in your life, happiness or wholeness? Who's the provider in your family? I'm the provider and all about happiness. And he's like, "Well, you miss both of those." And the more I dove into that and explored it, and opened up this Bible that I'd never opened up. When you say pierced as a as a verb, it's because it's it's, 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 it's changing your thinking, it's, or it's, it, you're being stabbed. It's like I'm being stabbed, like or like he's like he's talking directly to me, and it's just piercing my heart. And I was I'm missing out on a lot of stuff, and I'm missing out on it because I've I think I've put this because your values are yeah, wrong. yeah I've put I've put this job up here I've elevated it to this you know and the only church the only altar I was worshiping at was Rudy Martzky <laughs> the media critic for, for the USA Today. <laughs>
2: What a terrible God.
3: You know what? That's that was that was what was driving me at that point. I know. What was driving me there No, was, you deserve
2: to be pierced for that yeah,
3: was, was man, I can't wait for the Monday mornings USA Today to see if I made Rudy's column in a good way.
2: Your priorities would be wrong if yeah. that uh
3: That's what was driving me. That's funny. It was how do what do people think about the job I'm doing? And especially not just not just viewers, but Rudy, but also not thinking to yourself, what do people think about the
2: job I'm doing in raising kids with a wife, where my focus is maybe yeah. my
3: kids and my wife, but it seems to be me and my career. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm, and and again, and even today, I mean, that's the question I get most. I talk to a lot of uh, businessmen, a lot of a lot of companies, and and always the first question is, how do you balance this work, you know, this work and uh, and home thing, and it's that never it's 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 not an easy answer it's not uh, all I can tell them is is you have to be intentional you have to make you have to look at what your schedule is telling you you should do and saying but is there time in here where I can do this for my wife where I can do this for my kids where I where instead of what it used to be was no that's a work day no can't do it no is that for real? Or could you not? work something in here. Because I've and I, I tell those same folks, I say that kids have superpowers. They see and hear everything. And they remember everything. They remember when you paid attention, they remembered you, when you weren't there, when you could have been there. And and they're accepting, I know, that and, and I was too of my dad, and I know that you know work took him on the road a lot and he missed a lot of stuff.
2: I read something just the other day actually that the only ones who will remember 20 years from now that you worked late are your kids. Mm-hmm. Like that 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 sentence resonated with a whole lot of people because of the relationship that they have with work. You have you have six kids, and you've been successfully married for forty-one years. Correct. If we make it to August, it'll be forty-one. Yeah. Now, many of them happy. <laughs> and many she, of them she and happy. happy I, she and I,
3: she and I, and I, always say that too. We always tell people, but we also, I also tell folks. I said, look, if you, if you really want to uh, to score points with your wife, next time you're in a social setting, and somebody, you know, another couples with, just, well, how long have you guys been married? You. You're playing the role of my wife right now, and they say, "Well, how long have you been married?" You say, "Not long enough." That's pretty good. It's you're not. It's not bad. That's good for 36 holes. You are. You, are, you, 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 you uh, But you're.
2: I imagine you'd have to be a romantic. Would you give people secrets on what it is that, uh, what what is the key to
3: loving someone for four decades? And she she says it's uh, that I make her laugh. Um, and I just think I think the key is just uh, you know pulling on the rope the same way and and, and having um, having the same goal and, and and I look I'm a sportscaster my wife's a world changer and I've told people that forever because she's the one who got us into adoption in the first place you know she's the one who has devoted her life at various phases to helping the addicted. Uh, the sex trafficked and now the homeless and she's always drawn to that and it's and, and I've always admired her for that looking outward uh, and rather than inward and and how can I help and so that's been you know Look, I outkick my coverage big time. Well, if all you're big providing
2: time. is laughter, and she's changing the world, and uh, she's my de- point exactly. I mean,
3: you're fairly uh, useless comparatively. <laughs> and, and 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 the thing is, I make her laugh, and most of that's unintentional. You know, yeah, so that's... <laughs> just,
2: just, well. My wife, my, there's nothing that makes my wife happier, and it delights me as well, than when I'm a fool, which mm-hmm. I which I often. Often, there, there is nothing that makes her laugh. Oh, more, it's a it's a guaranteed
3: you know. for me. I can do that just by saying, "Hey, I'll fix that," because yeah, me too. trying to repair something around the house is always fodder for the next uh, six months. Oh, but
2: uh, you try at least. I, I can't. I my father did not hand me down that one. My father taught me how to work. I was not. I my the, the thing my father did teach me is have friends who know how to fix things. Yes,
3: he did. I did learn that from my. Oh, dad. Cheryl's dad is is awesome. My my father-in-law can fix anything and can build anything i've returned a hammer to home depot because it didn't have instructions i mean i yeah. got I mean, no, i'm clueless I,
2: you should it's, it's laughable Me and i and, got that
3: from my dad too cuz my mom my late mother said said your dad's the only man in america who's never been in a home depot
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but that's what he taught you, right? Oh, like he ended up teaching you. Yeah. Uh, you don't know. I don't know how many of our patterns from our pa- our parents we pick up, but that one to me was largely blind for a long time. Mm-hmm. the The idea that I'm slowly becoming my father in ways that are
3: deeply uncomfortable to see in a mirror. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes it's not really uncomfortable. You know, sometimes it's it's kind of cool, like. In the hallways the other day, there's a guy who'd been a turner for a long time. We used to, you know, work on some of the Braves broadcasts when my dad was, was still calling games. And uh, I saw him the other day, and, and uh, I said, how you doing, kid? And he just stopped, and he said, man, you sounded just like your dad when you said that. He used to call me kid all the time. And I was like, <laughs> thank you. I like that. Thanks for the reminder.
2: You sounds like uh, the foundation is that you make her laugh and you are awed and flabbergasted with respect for how large her love can be, because I don't know how you ended up on the adoption path. But that is a substantive undertaking to choose. I am going to love someone up here to create a home for someone so that they can have a safe environment and and have um a terrain that is successful or that is that is more helpful to
3: happiness than might otherwise be if not in a loving household no without question i mean and that's you know when i i wrote unscripted six years ago and you know kind of a a term that described the show that we do but also uh, the way we've lived our lives and you know when you when you get married and you have a boy and a girl and you've got what everybody seems like. You guys have got it. You got a Beautiful wife. You got a great job. You got a boy and a girl. Bang. You know. Set sail. And then and then she, you know, Cheryl Lamb sees Twenty Twenty one night and sees all of these Romanian orphans, and then comes to me and says, "You know what? I think we need to do is we need to go to Romania and get one of these kids." And I'm like, uh, "No, really? What are you? Are you serious?" Yeah, we really. Yeah, this would be great. We need to investigate this, and we do. We investigate it. She goes over with a group. I stay home with Eric and Maggie. She's more worried about them hanging with me, with no vegetables in the house for two months, uh, than I am about her being in Romania, where back in '91, who knows what's going? on. It's, it's not like you had everybody's got a cell phone, and and then you're hearing about how the rules are changing all the time, and and. Um, And that experience changed the trajectory of our whole family. You know, that was for her to see this little boy who can't walk or talk. He's three years old and just makes sounds and has been in a crib since he was found in a park. Doesn't know how to chew because all they've been feeding him is out of a bottle and he's three years old. And, uh, you know, it's. You know, she calls me. I, we talk, and she's in Bucharest, and she tells me all about this kid. This, this is Michael. This is Michael. And, and she's like, I met this kid today, and he's so much more than we can handle. And she kind of lists what's going on. And she said, but I just don't know if I can live the rest of my life wondering what happened to him. So what do you do, Dan? So what do you, what do you say? I follow my wife to the end of the earth. Yeah, I said bring him home. And even then, when you, when the words came out of my mouth, it was like, what did I just say? But I had heard something in that. I had heard something in what she said. It was like this is, this is what we got to do. So
2: how does that work, though, when it arrives on your doorstep? I don't know how impetuous she is or you are because she saw something on television. We don't need to talk about this. We don't need to, like, really understand the decision we're making. No,
3: follow your heart. Follow, follow. Oh, no. we. I mean, we went to a big meeting. So how does this whole process work and what are we looking at? And and so, you know, you have to go through this whole um, home study Everything to to see if you're a a fit parent, you know, if if this, you know, if you do adopt a child, you know What kind of a household is he or she going to be getting into so we go through all that red tape and all that stuff and um, And then she goes and um, So we had yeah, it wasn't like Wow, the 2020 just ended that was really a touching story. I'm getting on a plane. It was no. Let's let's look at this but the instantaneous thing was when I heard that in her voice, it was like, okay, here we go. And
2: can you explain to the audience what kind of undertaking? Not, not. I'm not talking about yeah. paperwork here. I'm talking no. about the commitment to raise a child
3: under these conditions. Yeah, it was... Um, we, One of his feet was totally turned in at the ankle, so he couldn't walk. And... Um, We knew when when we got him home, he would have to go through a battery of tests from doctors here in the States to see exactly what the situation is, why, you know, and and so like we would be um, awakened in the morning with, and walk into his room and he's on all fours and he's banging his head against the crib it's all self-stimulation for the first three years of his life. Nobody is paying any attention to the kid. So that's one thing that we that we see right away. Um, and then they run a bunch of tests, and they fix his foot, and he's able to walk. And then he's, he's walking with a funny gait, and they say, well, we need to do another test, and they cut open his leg, and they do a muscle biopsy, and they say he's got muscular dystrophy. And then you uh, you do research on MD, and um, you talk to doctors, and they uh, and they say there's no cure for it. So so we go from Ernie and Cheryl, Eric and Maggie, great job boy and girl. Here we go. You went unscripted, um, and now you've got a kid with a fatal disease who's three years old, and um, You just go from one day to the next. He's, he's, your, he's your son. And that's what you do. Um, and you say, we don't know how long we've got with him. A lot of kids don't make it out of their teens. But in the meantime, we need to get him in speech therapy and physical therapy. And so maybe we can... He's three years old and can't talk. He's just making noise. He finally spoke when he was eight we're in the van one day, and all of a sudden, out of the back seat comes Mike. Mike. He just said his name. And it's like, um, we're making progress. There's a step. And he would never be able to communicate like this. He had his, you know, but you spend enough time with him. Through the years, then you knew what he was, the points he was trying to get across. And he loved, he was, he had autistic tendencies and he loved cars, loved lawnmowers. If he met you, he asked what you drive. And then he remember that. I mean, I'd run into teachers of his at the mall 10 years after they taught him. And I'd say, oh, Michael, who is this coming by? And she, and she'd be waving, oh, Michael. And he'd say, Chevy Astro van, light blue. And she said, Yeah, that is what I drove when I taught you. It was it was an amazing it was like this amazing icebreaker he had with people who were just drawn to his spirit. And um, I got to watch that. I got to watch that every day. So I I never wanted anybody to think, Oh, poor Ernie and Cheryl, look what they're it was like, no see you don't get what we get. We get to watch this every day. We get to watch this, watch him develop. We get to watch him grow. We get to watch him impact people because we're not all here to play by the same rules. And so he was a joy and a wonder to behold. And, and his impact on folks, much greater than I'll ever have on anybody. What did he teach you? Unconditional love, love of the being content with whatever you have. You know, it's Dan. I would a big day for Michael would be go to a car dealership, go inside and get a few brochures. And he couldn't read or write, but he could memorize all the cars. And he would see them on the road, and that's a this, and that's a Toyota, and that's this, and. And then, if you'd take it home and like laminate some of the pictures and put them in a binder for him, it's like he like he hit the lottery. It was it was an amazing thing. So it was be content. Don't always it doesn't not, and the next thing doesn't have to be bigger and shinier and brighter. It can just be content with the simple things. Um, and his spirit was just his favorite thing to say was love you too. I mean our family our family slogan is and what we we put emojis on stuff and it's always this it's always I love you in sign language and it's and that's the whole that's the foundation that's that's what the, our family's about and and he kind of paved the way you that. you exuded. I mean, I've always
2: I've you have always seemed five dollars. You have always seemed maximum gratitude to me just in the way that you carry about carry yourself and talk uh, about some of these things. But you exude it as well. It's unspoken. It's hard to explain to you. I don't know if you have this effect on people. There have not been many people in my career in the media who have this particular energy about them that is uh, soft and kind and generous and grateful? And I don't know if you had it before, Michael. I don't know if you were the same kind of grateful when you had the perfect life as someone imagines it, and then chose something harder.
3: Yeah, I, it was. Um, I think I tried to be that person but when michael came along it was he just brought us to a different place he just brought us kind of into into his world and it and and the best thing the best thing about it for me was see, it put us into a servant mentality every day you woke up in the morning especially as as he got older and you know he he died at 33 which was much longer than anybody thought we'd that he'd be around, but into his teens and 20s and 30s, and confined to a wheelchair, and the last 10 years of his life on a ventilator. You woke up. In, you woke up in the morning knowing you had you. Were, My job today is to serve this guy, and you had to do everything for him, and that's everything. And when you have that kind of a need and a desire to serve—that's good, because I think we—I wish I wish there were—I wish everybody wanted to serve. I wish everybody woke up in the morning saying, "How can I help you today?" Oh, but you've stumbled upon upon a great secret to happiness. I don't
2: know if you stumbled on it before Michael or not, but uh, I mean that the rewards of giving are so much larger than the rewards of taking. Like, oh. I, I mean, if, if you're doing it consciously, right, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I think a lot of people get caught up on the path to unhappiness with superficialities that aren't quite that.
3: Yeah, well, this is, this is from the guy whose who's week would be made if Rudy Martzky said I had a funny line to, man, Michael, what am I going to do? today with you what are we going to make how are we going to make you more comfortable how are we going to how are we going to shave you today is this a shave day is this you know that kind of stuff and and it was yeah it just it it reinforced where everything in my life and in all of our lives in our family it kind of reinforced where everything should fall you know are you are you caring too much about this yeah i mean and i i listened to the audio book the uh the subtle art of not giving a uh, Are you familiar mm-hmm. yes. with this. Uh-huh.
2: Yes. No, there is yeah. I I've read the book and there is wisdom in there, although it's got barbed wire all around it.
3: Yeah, it does. But there are certain times when you read that, you know what, yeah, that I could care I should probably care less about that, you know? And and I think what Michael what Michael did and what all of our kids have done is, is kind of put us into a position of uh, here's what here's what's important to, to care about, here's what's Pff, forget it.
2: Well, when was the last time anything involved with your very successful popular su- show has redu- resulted
3: in Ernie being truly enraged? Enraged? Tu- truly enraged. I have a feeling that you have something that no I don't have anything
2: I can't imagine yeah. it is what I have no. i it simply it's it is something that I simply cannot imagine although you gave us a story from a long yeah. time ago you don't you know, carry yourself with someone with
3: with a temper you know what you know what made it I don't know if I would call it enraged but um back when I was doing uh, our baseball coverage and doing play by play on uh, of the playoffs the Braves and Dodgers played one year. I can't remember the, the year. But there was this, you know, like our PR department said, hey, would you do an interview with this L.A. writer? Yeah, sure, um, whose first question was, hey, your dad broadcast Braves games forever and ever. Uh, you try, Can you tell me that you're gonna go into the series with no bias? <laughs> it's like, look, I'm a professional. I said, I call the games. I want the games to be competitive. I'm not rooting for anybody, so please. But so there were these sides that had developed. And you see this on social media, you know, at this point. It's like, well, before the series even starts, you know he's going to be pulling for the Braves because of his dad. And, and, you know, the Braves fans got their take. But as the series unfolds, you know, and the Braves lose to the Dodgers in the opener. And I'm on my feed and it's like your dad would be ashamed of you And there was some rage there from me Um, Because that hurt, you know, I had Braves fans, you know the organization my dad had devoted his life to Saying you know because they expect me to be waving pom-poms in the booth and go Braves And that's not that's not me. I'm a national broadcaster. I'm calling this So then, when the Braves come back and win the next game, then the Dodgers or Dodger fans are like, "Oh man, so it's so obvious." So that stuff—I don't know if it enraged me, but it. Bothered me.
2: Well, but your dad—I don't. Was your dad? Your dad wasn't as bothered. Was your dad someone who felt the need? I don't remember him being feeling totally impartial. I felt like he was regionally a voice for a region that celebrated
3: a team. But I'm looking at that through a child's eyes. Yeah, I mean, dad wanted the. You know, dad knew who was. The Ted Turner's name was on the check, so dad knew he was the Braves broadcaster. And, but, but he was very fair. You know, I, I never. Got got that vibe from him. Like I got I got that vibe from a lot of announcers you hear these days on any sport who are pulling for. But their you were team. getting
2: mad because a random person had dared to say that they somehow know that your father would be ashamed of you when all you've yeah. done all your professional life is make sure that that name remains mm-hmm. uh, pristine because yeah. of the respect you have for your father. And yeah, his it craft. hurt.
3: It hurt. And and one of those things that taught me was I I just can't get carried away with this. I just can't. You know, I'm not going to answer everybody who And there goes, the, there goes the great story. There's not real rage
2: there. It's just a mild, a mild, ah, this jerk said something mean on the Internet, Yeah, and I'm going to be an adult yeah. about it. It's but very I, disappointing. I, but, 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 I know, but I tried. I, I, I I, you I don't. you throw your phone uh, at somebody. I don't, and, I really
3: don't get that mad about it. Stuff
2: <laughs> I don't know. I, I, well, but it sounds. But uh, it sounds like you carry yourself with a perspective. Look, uh, I mean, what you're talking about, Ernie, there is really hard. When, when you can make life distilled down to is today a day we're shaving? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. today the day I can be of service? Um, when you make your life that small, everything
3: becomes a silly thing. Off, off everything work related, and, and and work becomes. You know, work became an escape during that time. Work became like, okay, Cheryl, you got Michael now. You know, I had him in the morning. You got him now. We have a nurse overnight. I'm going to work. And and that was a place to kind of just do your thing, have fun, talk hoop, you know, and laugh. Is that when
2: you remember the show being the best kind of distraction for you or the work being a more positive distraction because you have a better relationship with balance
3: mm. and perspective. Yeah, I, I think so. But I'm, and I'll tell you this, and and it all, it can't, it doesn't always work out that way that it's this great, um, you know, like this place to escape. Because when Michael died, I, I took a week off and I went, I went back to work, thinking, "Oh, yeah, this will be this will be good to give this, you know, have this night to do this." And all I, all I did was wind up calling my wife during the night and saying, "I wish I was home. I'm not ready to do this again." But I don't want to. But then you're thinking, you know, your dad would probably, your dad would probably be at work, you know, and um but I was so not into it for four for about a month for about a month after I went back to work I was so not into it, and I felt like I was cheating folks who were watching Felt like I was cheating the guys I work with because I wasn't dialed in and all I could because I, I don't want to be at work Just wishing I was not at work um, And that was hard and so if I think if I had it to do over again, I would have said look I need a little more time because all I'm i am it's just—it's just like there's no guide that comes when you adopt a, a child with special needs. There's no guide that says here's how you d- do this. Just like there's no guide, and everybody knows this. When you lose somebody you love, there's no guide that says here's how you deal with it. We all going to deal with it differently, and and so there were just too many reminders during the day that that had me uh, had my mind anywhere but at work. What a difficult crossroads, though, to be
2: sort of stuck emotionally between whatever this is what my dad would have done and I should be home with my wife because that's the important place
3: to be right now. Yeah, yeah. It was um, and I, I think part of it was I was trying to prove to myself that maybe I'm tougher than I really am. Like yeah no I a week is fine you know a week away from work would be fine I'll be great and I'm just I'm not that strong. Well, also I'll, be, all, I'll work, be the first to admit
2: it. But work is also an ex- excellent place to hide, yeah. U- usually from
3: things less large than that. Yeah, but it wasn't. that wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a good place for anything at that point, and I knew it. And uh, but. You know the guys were great. The way and I'm sitting at home and they did this great this wonderful tribute to Michael on the on the pregame show. and I just and, and you, I just felt so loved by the place that I've loved for ages and uh, yeah, so I, just, I work in a special
2: place. It's a special thing that you have. It's not just a special place. You are somebody who has contributed to making it that special. You've been an anchor in the middle of that place in spirit. And I'm gonna I'm, I'm done here hitting you with the syrupy stuff, but I do want the audience to know that uh, you are a special human being and the work that you do in this industry is unusual for a number of different reasons. And I'd put lower on the list the craftsmanship of it, the environment that you have created, that is a celebration of sport and life where people can talk about serious things, feeling like they are in a family loving environment. Give yourself some more credit for what that is. You can be grateful about it and I understand am, and hey, that you had a part in,
3: in be, making it the spiritual soul of sports that it is. I am grateful and I appreciate your, your, uh, your words because that means the world to me. It truly does. And, uh, And uh, it's like uh, it's a wonderful life, man. It's my favorite movie of all time. You know, here's to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. That's the way I feel every day. Thank you.
2: Uh, Thank you for your work, sir. And thank you for spending this time with us.
0: Always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of Americans are deficient in.
4: Hey listeners, it's Mike Ryan, and I've changed a lot over the course of 20 years that you've known me. I've gone from unlikable to, well, my hair has changed. But my point is, while a lot's changed over our relationship, there's one thing that hasn't changed one bit. And that's a great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite has sparked this debate way back in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. They keep it simple. It's got undebatable quality, great taste, 96 calories. You know all those things. It's a beer that strips everything away that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. But with Miller Lite, you don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. It's both those things. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com Dan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.